0: You know, as I told the players, when you get stunned, you see that look in people's eye, uh, they just get
1: quiet.
0: There are obviously a lot of things that need to be addressed. We have got to do the fundamental things better. We've been able to turn things around when we've hit bottom in the past around here, and I'm convinced we will and can't.
2: out and it became more of a struggle defensively right North Carolina's defense was able to take care of business and there was no scoring on the Duke side.
1: But... Welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk section 17 podcast. I'm your host Brian Kennedy alongside Josh Cox, Scott Medlin and Jamie Holden. As you just heard from the highlight reel from this past Saturday's game it was just not the Blue Devils day. As UNC got out to an early lead and ultimately defeated the Blue Devils 38 to seven. With the loss, Duke falls to three and two overall and is 0 and 1 in conference play. So, fellas, let's just get right to it. Overall thoughts coming out of this past weekend's rivalry game against UNC?
2: Well, first things first, I would just like to go off the record here for a second off the cuff. Congratulations to the 2021 nationally West champions, my San Francisco Giants. That was the only good thing that happened last week, so I had to enjoy it while I could. But, uh, yeah, last week was tough. It was tough watching Carolina score and just move the football on us like they did. And to me, this is going to sound weird, so, you know, that's why, that's why y'all keep me. The game changed early to the point to me where when Carolina called the timeout on the first drive, that broke all the momentum, Duke had. Duke was moving the football right down the field, boom, 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 boom. Matt calls that timeout, and we come out and we uh, we can't do anything with the football, and we end up punting. To me, that's a huge thing. Um, you know, the Kansas game, we threw the we threw the pick, we made a good defensive play. This time, man, we just it just totally screwed us up. I mean, Gunner had a decent day but he just couldn't stay up. And, man, the fumble was crazy. The pick was crazy. And, honestly, I don't understand the definition of word taunting now because in the second half, the guy tackled Gunner in the backfield and sat down in the old namaste pose in the middle of the field and didn't get a 15-yard penalty. Chris Combs back in the day stood up at Virginia and saluted the crowd and got a 15-yard penalty and cost us a football game. What is up with the ACC here? That's crap. But there were just just so many things that didn't go well. I mean, if you look at this score, you know, obviously 38, that was bad. But Mateo had a decent day. I do think he got hurt again, and I'm sure you guys will mention that. Jalen Calhoun, that may be the player of the year. That catch was unbelievable. He made a great effort and still scored a touchdown. Bobo had a decent day. Marweedy caught three passes, but that was it. We nobody else caught the football. I mean, Lummy had to make some tackles. Daquan Johnson, Lummy and Daquan made seven tackles apiece. Shaka had six tackles on a sack. Dwayne Carter had another good game, four tackles, one and a half sacks. And we sacked Howell five times, which is a big deal. I mean, I think that was great. There were a couple that were considered runs in the first half where he was coming out of the backfield that I thought were sacks. But anyway. But biggest thing to me, obviously, we could have played better, I think. Duke still penalties. Seven penalties for 55 yards. And there were offensive penalties, you know, a couple in the kicking game. We just can't do that. We cannot have the penalties we're having. And that is, you know, Cut said all that's on him. And that's great. And that's fine. But we're doing it every week, Cut. No offense, my man. If we're doing it every week, though, something's got to stop. you can't just keep pointing finger at the guy in the mirror. We got to do something about it. So, I hate we lost. I was really looking forward to getting out of my crock pot, eating some of that bowl of crow, but it didn't work out this week. So,
0: and Scott, you hit the nail on the head there with uh, the the sloppy play that it seems that we have uh, started doing. And you know, if you'd have told us a few years ago, that Duke football was undisciplined. Man, that we would have never thought that. We would have never considered that. And, man, if we've not turned into somewhat of an undisciplined team, and, boy, it was was bad last year, and it's not necessarily gotten any better this year. To put in perspective what happened last week, I was thinking, though, guys, you know, first of all, they had a defensive score, which, by the way, uh, to a couple of our offensive players, who did not run at all after the linebacker who was returning it. Uh, We need to play till the whistle blows. Um, There was a really fast wideout about three yards away from the guy who picked up the football, and then he just stood there and watched him as he ran down the field. Um, But that was a defensive – so 31 points our defense really gave up. Heading into the game, if you'd have told me, hey, our defense is going to give up 31 points, We're going to have five sacks on Sam Howell. We're going to have several other hurries and knockdowns. Um, I would have said, okay, we might not win that game, but man, our offense is going to score. And man, we're going to put up 20, 21, 28 points. And man, that was probably a close game if we didn't win it. Um, And so I think those things aside, our offense, it just didn't show up. and, And yes, you take away Mateo's very first play of the game, 37 yard run for the rest of that game. He looked very normal. Uh, I'm talking about not normal for Mateo standards, but just like a normal running back. Um, there were a couple of things that I noticed. Uh, the, the camera angle happened to get to him one time where it looked like he was pointing at his, his uh, right arm or shoulder. Um, and then the very next play, he ran the ball and his teammates come over to help him up and he only offers his left hand up to be helped up. Those are little things, but um, I do think that there's something going on and I'll say this, I'd rather they get it fixed for his sake than for him to continue to try to play through it. Um, as much as we want to see him break some records and do his thing here at Duke, uh, we've often said this, he's going to be an NFL running back. And so if he's hurt, man, I hope that the, the staff, and I know they will, I'm not even suggesting that they wouldn't, um, but, but I hope that the staff will uh, make sure that he's well, uh, well taken care of. But, you know, I thought about this too, guys, the very first touchdown, uh, we were texting about it. We held our own really, really well in that first quarter. Really did nothing, nothing. Um, I feel like had we been able to score first, it really would have set the tone for the rest of the game. We didn't, but that wheel route—it was on a third down, and they ran that wheel route. And you could see it coming from wherever, wherever you're watching on TV. But I just don't know how that's not either offensive pass interference from the outside receiver coming in and setting that block or a a legal crackback or blindside crackback block um, from the out from coming from the outside and blocking on the inside. I don't see how that's not called. I'm not whining. I'm not going to be that guy that acts like we would have won the game if they'd have called that, but man, I was really expecting them when they got down the end zone to say, Oh, there's a flag. This was going to get called back, but didn't happen. At the end of the day, we took the L Sam. Howell's good. Josh Downs is good. And man, Ty Chandler was pretty, was pretty good for UNC um, this past Saturday.
1: All good points, Josh. And, I mean, one positive is that we actually held Sam Howell to only 29 yards rushing. That was one big factor that we talked about last week, is that he has turned into a mobile quarterback. Jones Angel even said that. Everyone was talking about that. And the fact that we were able to keep him under 50 yards rushing is a small victory. That means that we can contain and handle mobile quarterbacks, or we should going forward, and the ACC has a lot of them. Look, I think we can all agree, coming into this game after what we saw the first four games, we were optimistic, cautiously optimistic, especially after what we saw with UNC and the poor performance against Georgia Tech. But let's be real, the UNC team that everyone expected showed up Saturday, and to Duke's Luck, which always happens, it always happens to us. I just want to say one thing to some of the fans. And listen, I've been where these people are with Cutcliffe, and I'm just trying to rationalize this. We're only five games in the season. We've got seven games left. And I get that because UNC was 2-2 and that we somehow expected to beat them based off of their performance against Georgia Tech. But calling for the man's resignation after this game, come on. Seriously, we're talking about a team that was preseason top 10. And I know we joke about it. And I know that we talk about, oh, they're not out in the top 25 anymore. But let me ask this question. Had we lost this game, same score to a UNC team that was 4-0 and 3-1, what would the thought process be for these same Duke fans that are calling for cut's head right now? I mean, honestly, let's think about this. If the UNC team that everyone thought at the beginning of the season showed up in Keenan, every single person would have been saying, there's no way and you know what, that we would have had a chance against this team. So to all those fans that I've been seeing, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not trying to start anything. Let's wait a couple more games. Let's see how this Georgia Tech game goes. Let's see how the UVA game goes. Heck, let's see how the game after the bye week goes. And if we're 3-5, and 3-6? and six, Absolutely, let's start talking about it. But come on, a team that was projected top ten to start the season, and now we're talking as though we should have beat them hands down. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. All right, I'm off that soapbox. But one more one more thing, and, and I saw this from Adam Rowe, and it's not a stat I want to give, but I need to give to put it in perspective. With Duke's loss, thirty eight to seven, it is now the sixth straight ACC loss by double digits since last year. 2020, we lost to State, UNC, Georgia Tech, Miami, FSU, and now UNC again. That's not good. We need to break that streak this week.
0: Brian, thanks for bringing that up, man. I did a little bit of of number crunching on my own, and we're going to get to Jamie. But in the last 11 ACC games, we are 1-10, and we have been beaten by an average of 21 points per game. In the last 11 ACC games, we are 1-10. In, in the last 16 ACC games, basically the last two seasons and a little, stretching back a little bit more, we are 2-14, and 14, and we have been beaten by an average of 20 points a game. So, guys, basically for the last two years, we've not won ACC games, and not only have we not won, we've been beaten by 20 points per game.
1: My only rebuttal, and again, maybe it's the meds that I've been taking while we record this, the difference between last year's team and this year's team. I mean, it's apples and oranges. Plus, Josh Blackwell said at the beginning of the season, it was a lot of individuals saying all about me, not about team. This year, as we've seen, it's all about the team. I I think we're going to, as we head into some of these games that we're – we thought we'd win last year, and we absolutely didn't. I, I still say we can, and, again, I'm, that's my soapbox tonight. Let's just pump the brakes, guys. We're five games in, okay? Let, let's see what happens. Give them a couple more games. Then maybe we can start, you know, moaning and groaning a little bit more.
3: Yeah, and I'm just going to echo everybody else's thoughts. like, well, first and foremost, who was the idiot that picked Duke to win the game? Like, what a, what a moron. Oh, wait, that was me. Sorry, but no, in all seriousness, um, honestly, like Josh said, if you'd have told me that UNC's offense, like taking away the seven points where Gunner, you know, fumbled, you'd have told me UNC's offense is going to score 31 points. I mean, I think I'm going to think that we, we had a chance to win the game or either, you know, we were there. It was 31-24, 31-27, you know, something like that. But to be thirty-eight to seven is just—I mean—it was extremely disappointing. Um, the play calling when we did get into Carolina territory, uh, Mateo got us there, and then we got away from Mateo. Like, and it seemed like we—what did we, we pass the ball like three straight times and didn't get anything? It was all the all the bubble screens. We were talking about it on the uh, on the text convo. I mean, they were just—they were all over Gunner. They were—they were able to just. Our offensive line had played well, played really well, until up until this past Saturday. Uh, Gunner was under duress pretty much the entire game. Um, our receivers weren't really getting too much separation either. Uh, Jalen made the really nice play. I mean that was a that was a fantastic play. That was all Jalen too. He caught that and just efforted that ball all the way down the field and got into the end zone. So that was extreme effort on the part of Jalen. I thought, I mean, our defense played pretty well. Uh, the five sacks, like I talked before, and constant pressures on Howell. I mean, they were getting in the backfield. We weren't really having to to blitz that much. I don't believe like it was. we were getting pressure with our defensive line. Uh, but Howell is just he is who we thought he was. He's he's going to be a first uh, first round NFL draft pick and. Maybe even top five top ten type guy uh, but on the bright side, like Brian mentioned, this is now two weeks in a row we've held a you know mobile quarterback to under what we thought that they might get, so Sam was the mobile quarterback, and then the week before the Kansas quarterback, we held him to under under four yards of carry as well, which is a he was a guy that we thought would kill us, and this week we got another mobile quarterback coming in. With Georgia Tech with Sims, uh, so we'll see what happens. And to everybody else's thoughts, we haven't won an ACC game since 2019, uh, and now it's 2021. And if this Georgia Tech game is going to be our our best shot to get off the get off the uh, loss column and get back into the win column with the ACC, and I think if we can do that, I think this team will gather some momentum down the stretch. And there's some very winnable games. Coming up,
2: yeah, I want, want to go back because I meant I wrote this down, but I didn't say it earlier. One of the things, the um, if you think about it right now, we're three and two. Um, we go back to our preview. Three and two is where we thought we were going to be right now. So let, like Brian said, let's pump the brakes. I mean, I I am the one that goes the silliest and the craziest in this group usually. And I'm the one who loses my mind. I sit there thinking about it Saturday. Three and two is pretty doggone good. We have some winnable games ahead of us. We have some teams that we can beat. If we play anywhere close to what we played the first four games against some of these ACC schools coming up, we have a chance of upsetting. We have a chance of getting that one or two victories that we need, that we desperately need. But let's just, you know, like Brian said, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Three and two is what we said. That's what we were hoping for. Now that we're going to Georgia Tech, it's a home game. It's our last home game for a month. Let's just let the boys play ball. It's not like they're out there. They're not out there making bad mistakes. They're just not being set up to win. And I'll say it and, you know, get mad at me if you must. We have spent way too much time over the years arranging the deck chairs around on the deck instead of fixing the problems. So if we can learn from the mistakes, the screen pass has not and will not work in the first quarter. You got to change the play. We've done it thousands of times. We did it at Stanford four or five years ago. They beat the brakes off of us because we kept running the same play over and over and over again we got to stop. That's, you know, going back to what I said a little bit about cut. they got to see this on tape. We see it. The parents see it. The fans see it. The other teams see it. So somebody has to go ahead and take the ownership and fix it. If we're not going to fix it, then this ship is going to go down like the Titanic. But anyway.
3: I had one thought, and this is just completely out of like left field, but I mean, I felt like Ferris and Boyette have, you know, called great games all up until Carolina. And then I was just I never even put this in our text convo or anything. I was just wondering if Cutcliffe was a little more hands-on in the Carolina game. Like maybe they were trying it's almost like they were trying not to get blown out, like like trying to keep. I don't know. Trying to move, you know, trying to move the ball with like the little keep it screen. respectful. Yeah, keep it respectful. And but what ended up happening? It ended up backfiring, and, and I think a lot of the a lot of fans now are in a tizzy because we got beat thirty eight to seven. Had we lost that game, thirty one to seventeen, thirty one to twenty, uh, whatever, thirty one to twenty four, I think we. I'll see a lot more optimism, you know, coming from Duke fans. But right now, with after getting blown out, I think people are just kind of scared. It's the same thing is getting ready to happen over and uh, over and over again, and we're going to see the same thing against Georgia Tech. But I'm hopeful that the team is turning a corner. I've seen the defense play much better, and hopeful that the offense that that was just a blip on the radar. I'm hoping that they'll get back to get back to their normal game on Saturday and Wallace Wade. And look, guys. I
1: mean, we could spend this entire episode talking about what went wrong, what went right, what we should do better as a team, what we, um, what we did do good at to improve. But we got to move on. I mean, it's just it is what it is. It's a loss. It's in the in the loss column, Let, let's let's try to segue here. I mean, I, I think we're all just frustrated because we we know the potential this team has, and, and what better way than to be back into Wallace Wade this Saturday, twelve thirty against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And uh, as we've had every week so far in this football season, we've been able to sit down with the play-by-play announcer for each team. And this week was no different as Josh was able to sit down with Georgia Tech's play-by-play radio announcer, Andy Demetra, as he gave his insight on the Yellow Jackets.
0: And we're joined now by Andy Demetra, the voice of the Georgia Tech Tech. Yellow Jackets, and Andy will be on the call uh, this Saturday as the Yellow Jackets come to Wallace Wade Stadium and face our Duke Blue Devils. And Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Section 17 podcast.
4: Happy to be a part of Section 17. Thanks so much for inviting me, guys.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. So we did a little research beforehand, and we found out you're originally from Oak Brook, Illinois, which is, I believe, a west suburb there in Chicago. Um, so I'm wondering, man, where was your college fanhood uh, when you when you were growing up as a kid, uh, who who had your loyal your loyal fanhood growing up? Oh
4: man, you know I I I got to be totally honest, guys. I don't think I had a college team growing up. You know, when you grow up in the Chicago suburbs, everything's about the Bears and the Bulls. My dad went to a college that disbanded its football program in the 1960s. My mom went to an all-girls college in Wisconsin, so it's not like they could pass their football fandom down to me. Um, so it really wasn't until I got to college that I, I got to experience what a true college football atmosphere was like and really become immersed in the culture of college football. But as you can clearly tell, uh, ever since I started broadcasting, I've been in college football and happily, happily so. So, you know, I, I as much as I, I hate to admit it, uh, I didn't really have much of a team growing up. Hopefully I've, I've done enough, though, in my professional career to change that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So then, on the professional side, I mean, you got Cubs and White Sox. I'm assuming you were maybe a Cubs guy. That's what I, that's what I'm gonna go with.
4: Oh uh, well, even I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, which is natural to think that I grew up a Cubs fan. But uh, I was a White Sox fan. My dad passed that down to me, and this is in spite of my dad. No joke. Growing up as a kid, five blocks from Wrigley Field, he was a White Sox fan, and I uh, handed that down to me.
0: Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I. I Uh, lived a a brief time in a suburb up there, and my only context is attending games. And so going to a White Sox game compared to going to a Cubs game, uh, I think I wound up going to about 10 or 12 Cubs games and about two White Sox games. But, hey, you know, that's just from a visitor standpoint. It is different strokes for
4: different folks. No question about it, uh, cheering for the Cubs versus cheering for the White Sox.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, look, we are in that busy time of the year, Andy, where football is right like right in midseason form, and then basketball is starting up, practice, and all the hype coming up for basketball season, especially here in the ACC. Um, as a as a play-by-play announcer and, and kind of a guy that's got his hands in a lot of things there at Georgia Tech, how do you balance your time and your focus during these like four to six weeks kind of overlap?
4: Yeah, this is exactly right. We're coming upon the overlap season, the fabled overlap season for us broadcasters. You just have to, to make sure that there's never a lull in your day. There's always something you can be working on to get ahead because you don't want to be avalanched uh, and feel like you're behind the schedule uh, in preparation for any of your games. So even though we're not quite there yet with uh, the basketball games, bleeding over into our football games. October is when you really try to work ahead as best you can. We have a bye week after we play Duke, and uh, I will be far from sitting on my hands that week. I'll be getting a lot of stuff ready for basketball season in those early nine conference games, getting my charts ready for the remaining portion of our ACC schedule so that when you do have those weeks where you're calling two to three basketball games, plus your football game, plus your coaches' show, plus all the other ancillary programming that you're responsible for during the week, uh, you're not completely ambushed. Also, it helps to sleep really quickly, uh, which is a skill that I've come to learn over these last several years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. I can imagine that, especially, especially now. And, you know, during those years where you know, both football and basketball are relevant, right? And they're, it's not like one heavily outweighs the other. In Durham, it's a, it might be a little bit different with our guys. But when, with, with a normal school and a normal year where you're competing and you're good in both sports, I'm sure that that can become uh, kind of a difficulty there.
4: Yeah, and you know what, though? Uh, even though the non-conference games may not have a lot of sizzle on the marquee, You treat those games and your preparation for them as seriously as you do a Georgia Tech Duke game in the beginning of March. That's just part of your job because you owe it to your audience to deliver a a compelling, informed call of the game um, in which you're really comprehensively prepared for not just you, but your opponent. So it's just taking pride in your work, no matter what the opponent is. Uh, But you're right, it does get a little hectic uh, around uh, this time of year. But I always say I'd rather be uh, busy than bored. And I'd certainly rather be busy than broke. So uh, on that note, I I guess I'm in the right place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In these, you've been at Georgia Tech, I believe it's five years uh, coming up on your fifth year. Um, What has been your best game moment that you have witnessed? It can be basketball or football, whatever. But what's the best moment maybe that you've called that you remember um, in your five years at Georgia Tech?
4: I'll give you one football, one basketball. My favorite football memory was my first year at Tech in 2016 when Tech went to Athens and beat Georgia in clean old-fashioned hate. They scored with 30 seconds left to get ahead. Quay Cersei, our aback, took a pitch. He was going to attempt a pass back to the quarterback, but about eight Georgia defenders were all flooding out towards the QB, Justin Thomas. So he had a, a very thrilling piece of improvisation where he went for broke, headed for the goal line, leaped in and with that being my first season at Georgia Tech uh, I realized that that's a great way to ingratiate yourself to a new fan base is to call a dramatic last second win over your rival so that was probably my favorite memory in football and then my favorite memory in basketball had to be last March with Georgia Tech winning the ACC tournament something they hadn't done since 1993 I've been broadcasting professionally now this is year number 18 for me so last season was number 17 I had never called a team that had gone to the NCA tournament. And not only had I never gone to the NCA tournament, which I know is par for the course in Durham every year, but in my situation, not only had I never called a team that went to the NCA tournament, I never had even come close. I had never even called a team that reached the conference tournament semifinals, let alone get to the championship, let alone to win the championship. So even as topsy and turvy a year as it was with COVID and everything else, to see the confetti stream from Greensboro Coliseum and know that Georgia Tech won the ACC tournament. And then therefore you were able to finally fulfill a goal of going to the NCAA tournament. That was really special to me. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. Those are certainly not the only two memories I've had at Tech, but those are the first two that jumped to mind.
0: Yeah. Well, you got out of uh, South Carolina before Cindarius Thornwell uh, single-handedly beat our Blue Devils uh, oh yeah Blue you Devil know what
4: I uh, th- that was my my first year at Georgia Tech and so of course the year after I leave South Carolina they go to the final four so I won the great timing award in uh in broadcasting history but no uh you know fortunately I was able to, to finally get that back this past year and uh, though it wasn't a final four run it was very uh, gratifying to, to call a team that reached the NCAA tournament
0: yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Now, this is this is kind of a lighthearted question, um, but take it for what it's worth here. Prior to the hire of Jeff Collins, uh, who we will talk about here next, Paul Johnson was at the helm of the Yellow Jackets football program. And I need to ask this question. As a Duke fan, did Paul Johnson hate David Cutcliffe as yeah. much as it seemed like he hated David Cutcliffe? And somehow, you know, Duke always had a bye week the week before Georgia Tech so that we could prepare for – the gimmick option stuff, and and Johnson seemed to get more and more annoyed as the years went on, and so from a Duke fan's perspective, it seemed like he had disdain for Cutcliffe. Your thoughts?
4: Boy, if there was animus between Paul Johnson and David Cutcliffe, it certainly preceded my arrival at Georgia Tech, and I got to be totally honest, I didn't try to pick Paul's brain too much about that. I I think what you had were two very prideful coaches who played in the same division together, uh, who had very contrasting styles, which always made for interesting theater on the field. And I think it probably manifested itself in a raised level of competitiveness for both of those coaches. I think anytime you can do something at a school as successfully and as long as both of those coaches had, uh, there's a healthy amount of respect, but also you're fighting for the same turf in the division. So it's probably natural that there was a little extra competitive juice flowing between Cutton and, and Paul during their time together. But as far as uh, any enmity that those two guys had, I'll probably have to uh, plead the fifth on that. I'm probably not the best authority for it, although I will say uh, those Duke-Georgia Tech games – uh, my 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 first three years here between Paul Johnson's Jackets and David Cutcliffe's Blue Devils, uh, you know, th- there was a little extra on the field. There certainly was.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, I think it may have gone back to. I know Duke had entertained, um, Paul Johnson when they were looking for David Cutcliffe. Basically, I know that was a a situation, and so maybe maybe that could have been a little bit of it that they were kind of in the same conversation. Um, for the Duke job back in the day. I don't know what it was, but I can tell you this. It was hilarious that we got that bye week every year. Um, we, we used to always joke, you know, we get that bye week so we could prepare and then maybe not leave Atlanta with knee injuries and stuff due to the blocking and all that kind of stuff. So we definitely felt some animosity on our side, and we were just wondering if it was reciprocated down there in Atlanta.
4: Well, I think one man's animosity is another man's healthy competition. So we'll, we might just
0: leave it at that. I love it, man. I love it. Well, listen, in all all seriousness, a a great hire was made uh, in Jeff Collins um, back in 2018. Can you explain um, the challenge that he faced um, in coming in, not only just being a coaching change, but that entire offensive scheme going to uh, more of a spread offense, pro-style spread offense? um, Just how big of a challenge has that been and just how good of a job has Jeff Collins done?
4: Sure. And I'd like to make the distinction that what's transpiring under Jeff Collins, it's a reconstruction. It's not a rebuild. There were good players, uh, you know, before Jeff Collins took over. And I think it's unfair to denigrate any of the players that were left over from that option era because, heck, Georgia Tech won seven games in Paul Johnson's last season. So they had good football players and winning football players. But, not all of them were going to be built to the specifications of Jeff Collins, new offense and defense. And so it's taken a while for him to repurpose the roster in his image with the height, weight, the athleticism, the ranginess that he wanted. I think we're seeing obviously this past Saturday aside that the, the product on the field now in 2021 is much closer to the vision that Jeff Collins has for this Georgia tech team. And, and what it'll play and how it'll play every single Saturday. Uh, we knew it was going to take a while, and that's why uh, Athletic Director Todd Stansbury gave him a long-term contract because he knew that this was not going to be an overnight process, that in many ways what Jeff Collins was undertaking had not been attempted in college football going back 30, 40 years to go from a true triple option to a pro-style spread. But Jeff has made a lot of inroads in recruiting. That's the, the brick and mortar of any successful program. He's able to get in guys via the transfer portal, which they've used very shrewdly, along with his own knack for identifying talent in high school to create a roster now that's much closer to what he wants from a skill and speed and athleticism standpoint so that they can be a competitive team playing the way they want in the Coastal
0: Division. Yeah, we, we, from a distance, um, have just noticed, you know, how quickly it seems that he has made some strides and those strides. And, honestly, just a lot of respect. I know we were joking before about the Duke-Georgia Tech coaches and whatnot, but just, honestly, a ton of respect. Um, for just how quickly it seems that he's been able to implement um, his system and and like you said using some of those players who you know they were recruited to Georgia Tech to play a certain style of offense but to be able to be flexible and and to be to show their skill um, in a completely different offense um, it's truly I feel like a remarkable job that he's done so far.
4: Yeah and and look it's going to be Still, a process of ebbs and flows. Uh, we know that it's not a fully formed product yet, but they're making steps in that right direction. They have a good quarterback and a young quarterback in Jeff Sims. They have talent on defense. Uh, we saw just the ceiling of this team, even this year, with what they did against North Carolina a couple of weeks back. They were humbled last weekend versus Pittsburgh, but I think we all can acknowledge that Pitt's a really good veteran team. And this Georgia Tech team, they're still really young. I mean, 74% of their roster still is comprised of freshmen, either true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or the so-called COVID freshmen. So their best days are still ahead of them, and they're you know not what I think you would call a veteran team yet. So to see some of the talent and potential that they've flashed already, knowing that these are the same guys that you'll be seeing next year and the year after that, and in some cases, even the year after that, I, I think it bodes well for this Georgia Tech team.
0: Yeah, you mentioned last week's loss to Pittsburgh, Duke also coming off a loss to our arch rivals there in Chapel Hill. Uh, what do you think will be the key uh, for the Yellow Jackets to get back on track and and uh, and get back to a winning way maybe uh, this Saturday in Durham?
4: Well, I think what you saw in abundance versus North Carolina was in short supply versus Pittsburgh, and that was a consistent pass rush. Now, let's give all the credit to Pittsburgh. They've got a deep, physical, experienced offensive line. And with Georgia Tech playing more of a three-down alignment, they had a hard time beating those double teams and influencing the pocket against Kenny Pickett, who, for my money, is the best decision-maker in the ACC quarterback. But we also saw the week prior versus North Carolina, they were able to d- disrupt Sam Howell. They got him down for eight sacks. They had 13 TFLs, so that ability to be destructive and, and disruptive and crash in the pocket is there for Georgia Tech. They need to be more consistent in that. I think they also need to be better on third downs. Georgia Tech had a season best in yards against Pittsburgh, but they were only combined three of 15 in third and fourth downs. They had some issues as well the last two weeks versus North Carolina and Clemson. And I think, you know, when you're facing a a team like Duke, you got to get some sustained drives against them, which includes completing third downs. So those are the first two areas that I would identify as being keys for a successful Saturday at Wallace Wade for Georgia Tech uh, and also completing drives. Um, we've seen Georgia Tech, you know, for whatever reason, not have that same level of crispness and execution and efficiency once they get inside the opponent's 30. And as a result, they're leaving points on the board. They were only 204 in red zone trips versus Pittsburgh on Saturday. And when you're on the road, it's not just enough to create opportunities. You have to cash in on them as well. And that's still been a bit of an uneven quality of Georgia Tech this early season. So those are the three things that I would put on the whiteboard in the locker room as being the top keys for Georgia Tech to to have a successful day in Durham.
0: Yeah, so as Duke fans that are are watching and maybe not have uh, followed Georgia Tech closely thus far this season, uh, you mentioned Jeff Sims at quarterback, but maybe what are a couple of key players on both sides of the ball uh, for Georgia Tech that Duke fans need to keep their eye on?
4: Sure. Well, yeah, Jeff Sims, uh, even in defeat on Saturday, he threw for 359 yards. So wrap your heads around that, a Georgia Tech quarterback actually throwing for greater than 300 yards. Uh, that was the most passing yards by a Tech quarterback since 2001. Uh, Jeff Sims's accuracy and his completion percentage has gone way up since last season when he was tossed into the grease as a true freshman. So he's one guy to watch. Another guy that I think is slowly gaining some notoriety is Malachi Carter, a junior wide receiver, very dependable, very crisp in his routes. And he's kind of emerged as Sims's go-to target. Kyrick McGowan, who's a grad transfer from Northwestern, was only available on an emergency basis versus Pittsburgh. We did not see him play. He actually led tech in receptions entering that pit game. He's another versatile guy that they'll line up uh, in several different formations. Then defensively, the big change with Georgia Tech is since the Clemson game, they've gone to a 3-3 stack. And their three linebackers have played exceptionally well this year. Quez Jackson, A. Sealy, who's a transfer from Maryland, has played really, really well. Uh, that's a name that Duke fans will want to know. And then Charlie Thomas, who's a brings a load every time he, he drills a ball carrier, another linebacker, he's played really well. Uh, and they've been ball hawks in the middle of that box for Georgia Tech. Uh, those are some of the names that I would say if you're're you're, you're cheering for Duke on Saturday, you should pay attention to because they've been consistent. They may not be those guys that're the front of your mind when you're thinking about Georgia Tech football this year, but guys who will likely have an impact on the game.
0: Yeah, and that's what we love to see here. We love to to pick apart that that film a little bit um, and see who really is making maybe that behind the scenes difference. Um, for you guys. Well, you guys are coming in uh, two and three. Uh, Duke is three and two. But I'd say uh, your schedule has been a bit tougher uh, than the Blue Devils so far. And so I guess uh, looking at the season as, as it goes along, complete this sentence for me. Georgia Tech will make a bowl game if. Whew.
4: If uh, they can be more efficient in capitalizing on their scoring chances. We've seen them be able to stop teams defensively. We saw that in Death Valley. We saw that in Mercedes-Benz against North Carolina. They certainly had their stumbles against Pittsburgh, but I think everybody's awakening to just how potent that pit offense is this year. And I wouldn't say that was a, a good illustration of how talented the Georgia Tech defense is. But, you know, in order for them to win and win consistently, it's going to be about con- completing drives, getting inside those red zones, converting their chances. Um, And so a long-winded answer to complete that sentence, but I I would say for Georgia Tech to reach a bowl game as rugged as the schedule is, uh, it's going to come down to being able to to keep efficient uh, once you get inside your opposing team's territory and, and score them when you have opportunities.
0: Yeah, we'll keep our eye on that, not only this Saturday, but as the season progresses. Our final question is unrelated to football, even though I'm sure offensive linemen and defensive linemen would appreciate the question. Uh, the Section 17 crew, are, we're all about trying new places to eat. And if we were coming down to Atlanta for a couple of days and had two or three options uh, open on our schedule to eat some good Atlanta food, give us a couple of places that we have to go. And, and, and let's let's go ahead and get this out of the way, other than the varsity. We know about the varsity. We've eaten at Varsity, so give us something maybe that's not quite like popular, popular like that, but maybe like some hidden gems in the Atlanta
4: area. So I would have my Atlanta card revoked if my first answer to that was go to Atlanta and get some lemon pepper wet wings. Jr. Crickets is right down the road from Georgia Tech on North Ave. You can swing in there. Uh, They're certainly very popular for their their wings it's almost like a staple food in the Atlanta diet to get some lemon pepper wet wings. So make sure you do that. Uh, If you're looking for barbecue, I'm going to split it between Fox Brothers, uh, which is sort of in my neighborhood. And also there's a new place, Lake and Oak Barbecue. I've been there several times. It is fantastic. You you can't go wrong finding good barbecue in the Atlanta area, but those are my two favorites. So between some wings, some barbecue, get you guys full, get you guys happy uh, by the time you leave Atlanta.
0: Man, I love it. I love it. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the Section 17 podcast with us today, and good luck with the rest of the season uh, for Georgia Tech football.
4: I appreciate that, and thank you guys so much for doing what you do. Uh, you know what? We're all this, uh, pulling on the same rope here in the ACC, trying to show everybody just how strong this conference is, and I appreciate you guys uh, sharing it with uh, Duke fans, just uh, you know what the Blue Devils are doing and, and how they fit into the whole matrix of the ACC. So this was good stuff. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're uh, happy to be a part of a little bit of the Duke football world here in the ACC. Have a good day, Andy. Thank you, you too. And once again, thank you to Andy Demetra for spending some time with me, talking a little bit about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and what Duke will be facing this Saturday at Wallace Wade Stadium at 12:30. By the way, we hope to see you there. Uh, we will be there in full force on the top row of section 17 looks like there could be some rain in the forecast and so come prepared but please come by and say hello uh come by and see us sit with us if you'd like we would love to hang out this saturday um we are moving into one of our favorite segments um that we do each week guys this is still not yet sponsored i've got to be honest with you it's a little disheartening. Um, We're on the lookout. We're on the lookout. But we are ready for the most popular, not yet sponsored, segment of our podcast. And that is the Tale of the Tape with Brian Kennedy.
1: Thank you, Josh. Be sure to bring those umbrellas. A lot of rain forecasted this weekend. Looking forward to seeing y'all there. Okay, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets last year went 3-7 and and had two games canceled due to COVID. Heading into this week, Georgia Tech is currently 2-3, and And last week, the Yellow Jackets were defeated pretty handily by Pittsburgh in Atlanta, 52-21. Head coach Jeff Collins in his fifth year of being a head coach and has an overall coaching record of 23-28. and 28. Before Georgia Tech, he was the head coach at Temple. Now, this is the 89th overall matchup between Duke and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech leads the series matchup on Duke, 52 wins to 35 losses, and there has been one tie in the series. The first ever meeting between Duke and Georgia Tech was all the way back in 1933 in Atlanta, where Georgia Tech defeated Duke 6-0. Now, since this inaugural game, the two teams have played against each other every year. And last year, Georgia Tech defeated the Blue Devils 56-33. Now, before last year's game, Duke actually had a three-game winning streak in the series. And David Cutcliffe has a losing record against Georgia Tech at 5-8. And now for the always fun and popular, Did you know? Georgia Tech holds a cake run for the school's freshmen every year. The event's a half mile race that is held on the morning of Georgia Tech's homecoming game. Now the tradition started back in 1911 when the event was introduced as an open cross country run so the school's track coach could scout candidates to join the track and field team. Two years after the creation of the run, some of the faculty members' wives, as well as the mothers of the students, started baking cakes for the winners of the event. Thus, the name of the race was created. The cake race became part of Georgia Tech's homecoming traditions in 1935 and was mandatory then for freshmen to run in. Women, or win-win-win, check that. (laughs) When women first started attending Georgia Tech in 1953, they were initially excluded from the race and only ran a 100-yard dash. They do run in the race now. In 1954, the winner of the cake race would receive a kiss from the homecoming queen. Now the race is still very popular on campus, but is no longer mandatory for freshmen to run. Every person who participates in the half mile race receives a cupcake at the finish line located outside Bobby Dodd Stadium. The male and female winners of the race still receive a cake and are also recognized on the field at halftime of the homecoming game. And that was the tell of the tape the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets.
0: That was the tail of the cake. The tail of the cake (laughs) from the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. uh,
1: Let's be honest, fellas. Everyone take your mics off mute. Do you want to try to run in the race now? Knowing that you have a cake to potentially win.
3: Do they still receive a kiss from the homecoming queen?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, they do. (laughs) And they are recognized at halftime.
2: How long is the race again? Half mile. No. I can walk. I can eat cake. Yes,
1: definitely. Hey, you still get a cupcake if you if you participate.
0: Can Sign you me
1: walk. up now. Can we walk? It, it? Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm yeah. down for like a cheesecake or something, man. If there's a cheesecake involved, I'm there.
1: Now if, I'll if I'll, they, I'll rent one of those electric scooters and start the race with everyone else. I mean, I might have a chance for winning then.
2: <laughs> if I go, if I go and come back and do it again, can I get a second cupcake? That's the most important question to me. If I can't get a second cupcake, then I don't know. I may do it once. <laughs>
1: So walk a mile, get two cupcakes. Hey, I like that. And, yeah, and I got and I got to say, I had a buddy of mine who went to Georgia Tech, and I asked him about this to make sure this was legitimate because I, I, I take this very seriously. He did say it is a very popular tradition on campus, but he did not run it because it was, quote, too early because he was a freshman in college.
0: Oh, man, of course, of course. Well, that was the ever-popular, not-yet-sponsored Tell the Tape for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We are now moving into another favorite segment. And, guys, I have enjoyed this every single week. I'm so glad we've added this. This week's going to be no different. Um, Who we respect, who we like, who we look up to, who's our favorite alumnus from the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. That's right, folks. It's time for Alumni Alley.
2: Well, I did – failed to mention um, one thing about UNC last weekend. I want to go there real fast. I do like UNC. I do. The University of Northern Colorado, Max McCaffrey. That's my boy. OK, anyway, sorry. Just want to throw that shout out to the Dookie. So my favorite Georgia Tech alumnus is actually one of my favorite basketball players of all time. And yes, I can say that as a Duke fan, this guy is one of my favorite, I mean, favorite basketball players. He graduated in 1998. He was named Mr. Georgia Basketball in 1993. He was a four-year starter for the Yellow Jackets. Named first-team ACC three times, averaged 21.6 points, 9.4 rebounds, finished second all-time in points to Mr. Mark Price, who was a great uh, guard for them back in the day, and was number one in rebounds, uh, second in rebounds, also with 997 rebounds. I'm talking about Mr. Matt Harper, who was the all-time free throw attempted leader and made free throw leader, 508, made 635 attempted. His number 15 was retired the, during his last home game in 1998, because back then they retired numbers while the guys were still playing, which was a great thing, I always thought. He was named to the 50, ACC 50th anniversary team. He was the number 15th overall uh, draft pick by the Orlando Magic. Played 11 years in the NBA for Orlando, Cleveland, Philly, and Utah. He was named to the all-rookie first team in 1999. His career stats were 7,645 points. He averaged 11.5 points a game, uh, 3,366 rebounds, 907 assists. And this season, starting here in a couple weeks, will be his 11th year broadcasting with Craig Bowlerjack for the Utah Jazz and our Quinn Snyder as their coach. So shout out to Mr. Matt Harpering, one of my favorite basketball players of all time.
3: And my favorite alumni is Joseph Annoy. But a lot of you probably won't know him by that name. But at Georgia Tech, he was a three-year starter on the defensive line uh, starting his sophomore season, his senior year, he actually made all-ACC first team, recorded 40 tackles, two recovered fumbles, 4.5 sacks. So he's a pretty good player. And he went on to go undrafted in the 2007 NFL draft, but was signed by the Minnesota Vikings as an undrafted free agent. Uh, they later actually cut him after annoy was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, then the Jacksonville Jaguars signed him and he got released from them as well. That basically ended his NFL career. But where you might know him is by his ring name and professional wrestling. And that is Roman Reigns. And he made his debut in the WWE in 2012 as part of then of the group, the shield. Uh, he has went on to win multiple championships. He's acted in movies. Uh, he's got some. He's got a pretty famous cousin, The Rock. Uh, he's got a lot of professional wrestling. It's basically the Anoa'i family is like a dynasty of professional wrestling. You got Yokozuna. You got the Usos. You got, you know, all all them guys are. A lot of them are related. Just Samoans. Um, and he he went on to win three WWE titles. He's main evented uh, WrestleMania five times now, which is WWE's main, main show. And now he's currently on his run as Universal Champion. And he's been been that way for over a year now. And, and probably what I like the best of him now is heel Roman Reigns cuz the fans just never have liked him. So he's been great and he's just been a fantastic wrestler and he's gonna be a future Hall of Famer for the WWE.
1: Jamie, I think you put Josh to sleep. I'm, I'm looking at the camera. It looks like he might have fallen asleep. Hey, you know, you know Josh loves these wrestlers and, and wrestling references. <laughs> Sorry, I had to call you out, Josh. It's all in good fun.
0: Hey, listen, there's nothing better that I like than two muscular men acting in bikini briefs, laying on top of one another in a ring with people watching and cheering and sweating. There's nothing hey. I like better.
3: Roman actually doesn't wear bikini briefs. At least he he does wear like like some sort of some sort of pants. So that makes it a little better.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, at least I can tolerate him.
3: Yeah, it's like cargo pants. Come on, Josh. Get
1: with the times. Okay. I'm actually going to go with one of Roman Reigns or Joseph Anoy's teammates, who is probably the most celebrated and well recognized player from Georgia Tech's football team. I'm talking, of course, of Megatron Calvin Johnson. he played at georgia tech from 2004 to 2006 and currently still has six school records receiving yards for a career in single season receiving touchdowns for a career receiving touchdowns in a single season uh most hundred yard games in a career and most hundred yard games in single season so that's a pretty good college record he was also an all-american in 2005 and 2006. he was also the acc rookie of the year in 2004 and the ACC Player of the Year in 2006. In 2007, he went to the NFL and was drafted second by the Detroit Lions. I think the the Raiders are still scratching their heads as to why they took Jamarcus Trussell over him, but we won't go down that path. He also set the most uh, receiving yards in a season in the NFL that still currently stands at 1,964 yards. He holds nine NFL records to this day, in 16 Detroit Lions records. So needless to say, the man was putting up some numbers. Unfortunately though, and I, I didn't realize this until I really started seeing his biography and re- researching, he actually retired at age 30 due to injuries. And if you haven't watched a football life on, on Calvin Johnson, I highly suggest it, that you do that because it goes into more detail of what he went through the last two years uh, injury-wise to get the most out of his, his body really to... to um, Give all he could for the Lions. So overall, he played eight years, and this was another stat that I just found amazing. He was inducted into the College Hall of Fame in 2018, and this year he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame in 2021. Both first ballot nominees, without question. And one thing that he is doing now, uh, and I'm not I'm not being funny when I when I say this, he's actually in the Uh, weed business and not just to distribute and sell it but he is taking all the properties of a weed plant to see if there's properties that can help an athlete heal quicker I found that very interesting so he's not just enjoying his life off in an island spending the money that the Lions gave him he's actually trying to do some good and try to help out future athletes uh, cope with their injuries
0: Mm -mm, big Megatron fan here for sure and uh, leave it to the Detroit Lions to send two of the greatest athletes in NFL history into early retirements, Megatron and Barry Sanders. And uh, both of those guys retired before before their time, I feel like, was up. But my favorite alumnus from the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, he's not a graduate yet, but I am talking about NBA champion, two-time. I am talking about Olympic gold medalists, but there's much more to this man. That I'm going to get into. I am talking about former Toronto Raptor and former Miami Heat power forward Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh played one season at Georgia Tech, but Chris Bosh came to Georgia Tech uh, having been inducted into the National Honor Society in high school. Uh, Chris Bosh has a a lot of other interests, um, including reading. He is. Uh, heavy into uh, music uh, producing, and uh, he is heavy into uh, comic books and actually has created his own comic book character that's gotten published. Uh, Chris Bosch is a really unique guy. And I'll be honest with you guys, I followed his career from a distance. He was in Toronto for so long, I didn't see much um, about about Chris Bosch. Uh, but he was interviewed on the Old Man of the Three podcast, JJ Reddick's podcast. And man, Chris Bosh opened up and really kind of told a lot about who he really is and what he cares about. And man, I became a fan of this guy. Uh, an epic, epic pictures of him with his mouth open back in the day. He looks like a raptor from the Toronto Raptors. Um, and so there's some really epic pictures if you look if you look at look him up online of Chris Bosh looking like uh, a raptor himself. Uh, but he was obviously a part of the decision. All right, back in 2010, LeBron James. Dwayne Wade and him, by the way, he was a part of that iconic 2003 NBA draft class. That's just uh, one of the best, if not the best in NBA history. But he was a part of the decision. He took his talents also to South Beach. Um, and really, honestly, he had been a multiple all-star, the leader of the team in Toronto. Toronto had tried two or three different times to put together some good teams up there for him. and never worked. And, you know, he went to Miami and really did take that third wheel. Um, and, and really settled in. Um, he made all-star teams in Miami, um, and they won championships. And I know at the end of the day, uh, that is what he wanted. He wound up uh, retiring. Um, well, he officially retired in 2019, but he last played in the NBA uh, back at the end of 2016. Um, and he had issues with blood clotting, and the, uh, the, the Heat found it, um, held him out, and then he tried to work his way back and never could. Those blood clot issues continued uh, to, to get to him. Um, and so he wound up in 2019 officially retiring. What I do love about Bosch is he established the Chris Bosch Foundation in 20, uh, 2004. And uh, that organization helps young people uh, strictly in academics and some athletics, but mostly academics. Many of the things are centered around uh, teaching young children to read who come from underprivileged backgrounds. He has programs in Toronto and Dallas, which is pretty cool. Um, And what I really think, I'm actually going to pick this up after doing my research on him. Uh, In June of this year, 2021, Chris Bosh published a book entitled Letters to a Young Athlete, just trying to be a mentor to a younger generation of athletes um, in real life situations. And so my favorite alumnus from Georgia Tech is the man, the NBA champion, the Olympic gold medalist, Chris Bosh.
3: What are your thoughts on LeBron having to create a super team to win a title?
0: Yeah, we'll we'll save that one for my for another another podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm not against it, man. I'm not against it. Um, I, I actually was a fan, was a fan of D Wade for sure, and uh, yeah, and now I'm a fan of Bosch after he stopped playing. I didn't really like him, but now I really like him a ton.
1: You know who wouldn't have done that and didn't do that? Michael J. Michael J., uh, Jordan.
0: <laughs> also, James K. James K. did not do that either. No, I will
1: never be able to top that, and I'm just saying, not not James K. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying that no matter what.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's that time where we talk about uh, this Saturday's game. Uh, Georgia Tech, we've mentioned it, 1230 Ball Suede Stadium. Make sure you're there. Don't let the rain keep you away. Uh, swing by and pick you up a biscuit or something uh, beforehand. Eat you some breakfast to get out to the game. Um, but we are going to that time where we're going to talk about who uh, we think is going to win and what the score is going to be. Before that, Let's talk about last week. I know it was a loss, but many of you predicted us to lose, as, as did three of us. And so, Brian, uh, let us know who got closest, Twitter, Facebook, on the predictions from last week.
1: Okay, on the Twitter side, someone actually predicted UNC score on the nose. Dub City Ambassador at A.M. Briggs. I love the name. Kudos to whoever you are. I love the Twitter handle. They predicted UNC to win 38 to 21. So, congratulations to Dub City. And then on the Facebook side, I had to go closest overall marginal points. Uh, no one guessed either Duke or UNC's exact score. So, Stephen Jones predicted UNC to win 46 to 18. So, congratulations to both Dub City and Stephen Jones. You are this week's prediction winners.
0: All right, guys. Well, let's talk a little bit. Who do we think is going to win this week? Uh, What do we think the score is going to be, and what are we looking forward to uh, for the Georgia Tech game? Jamie, why don't you start us off, man?
3: Yeah, I I don't really know what to think about this week's game. Georgia Tech's got another one of them, uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks that we're going to have to contain, and we've done a good job, like we talked about earlier, over the last two weeks of containing, and our defense has been getting consistently, I think, better each week. So, we we need to ride Mateo some more if he's not injured. I, I mean, honestly, we talked about that earlier, too. You saw the shoulder issue. He kept playing. Credit Mateo. I mean, he kept going. Well, nobody's going to take him out of the game, but we'll see what happens if Gunner can get back and get the offensive line to protect Gunner again and get back to where we were against Kansas and against A&T and against Northwestern. I mean, those are – those were games where the offense looked, looked pretty good. And I think this week, though, until I – ho- I hope – I want Duke to prove me wrong, but we have not won an ACC game since 2019. And this week I'm going to go with Georgia Tech 31, Duke 23. I hope they prove me wrong. I, I want to I come back on here and eat crow and everybody roast me. So that would be great.
1: Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I gotta call you out. Last week you were on your high horse saying Duke was gonna upset UNC and shock the world. Now you've come back
3: below reality and now you're just like, well, oh, I don't know about Duke now. Come on, Jamie. They really took the it really took the wind out of my sails, man. It's just like now I'm now I'm downer, Jamie. I'm downer Duke fan.
0: Man, may this week, may the Duke Wood Devils be the wind beneath your wings, Jamie. I hope that we become the wind beneath your wings all right here's what's going down this saturday guys i've got it figured out now actually uh jeff sims we've mentioned that he's mobile a couple of different times so far in this episode he is mobile but let me just say this in a loss granted but in a loss this past saturday he threw for 359 yards he completed 73 percent of his passes and threw a couple of touchdowns now he did throw a couple of picks as well and they did lose the game, but um, but as you heard early earlier with uh, Andy Demetra, I mean, the, the fact that Georgia Tech had a quarterback throw over 350 yards is pretty incredible. They haven't seen that in a while, especially with that, uh, that junk offense they used to run back in the day. By the way, I tried to be really kind on my interview about that offense, but I hate that offense, the ACL tear creator. Uh, but anyway, uh, this weekend, here's what I think, guys. I picked five and seven at the beginning of the season. I'm sticking with my five and seven prediction. And so in order for that five and seven prediction to come true, I have to pick Duke to win this game. And here's how it's going to happen. The Duke team that showed up in the first half of the Northwestern game and the second half of the Kansas game, that Duke team is going to have to show up. And then the Georgia tech team that showed up this past week against Pitt, as opposed to the team that showed up two weeks ago against UNC is going to have to show up. And so I am banking on Duke showing up, playing like we have seen them play in spurts this season. And I am banking on Georgia Tech not showing up and playing like we've seen them play in spurts so far this season. And so I'm going to say Duke is going to win this game. Um, it's not going to be pretty, uh, but I'm going to say that Duke wins this game 27 to 21. Blue Devils.
4: Okay.
1: I've, I was thinking about this while Jamie and Josh were talking. Over under, I believe, 60 and a half points. From what we've seen, you don't bet against Vegas. I've learned that, and I'm, I'm not a betting man when it comes to football games. But one thing that we need to take in consideration, we've mentioned it a little bit this episode already the rain. The rain could be the biggest factor in this game. And you know who that benefits the most? The Duke Blue Devils. Because guess what? The passing game will be taken away. And who are you going to hand it off to? Jamie's Heisman winner, Mateo Durant. If it is raining and it rains the entire game, that is going to be the biggest factor. If it doesn't rain, it could be a a toss-up. But with that being said, Duke is giving up 28 points a game to their opponent. Georgia Tech is giving up 28 or 25 points per game to their opponent. Duke is scoring currently 32 points on average per game. Georgia Tech is scoring 28 points on average per game. If it rains, it's going to be a bigger differential. If it doesn't rain, I think it'll be closer. But with that being said, Duke's going to get back on their high horse this week. And they're going to win. Mateo is going to have – I'm going to predict this. Don't prove me wrong, Mateo, please. Three of the five touchdowns Duke scores. Yep, he's going to have another three-touchdown game. I don't know about his yards. I'm just saying touchdowns. Duke is going to win this one 35-24. to
2: Okay. Well, that's uh, three interesting takes there. Um, looking at this uh, – looking at the way Georgia Tech's run the ball and done things, uh, since Jeff Sims took over, he is now the second leading rusher on the team. Uh, leading rusher Jameer Gibbs, who ran all over Duke last year. He has 239 yards on the year. Right now, Sims has 200 yards rushing in one less game. Um, one thing about Georgia Tech that we I – don't, I don't think we mentioned this They've given up 14 sacks, so that may be a good good thing for Duke. Um, 80% chance of rain Saturday, which means there's a 95% chance that Section 17 will be in Section 24 to 28 under the cover. So we'll get back to you about that later. Uh, Duke has won the last three games against Georgia Tech at Wallace Wade, which is pretty good. So there's, there's my version of the did you know. Three-and-a-half point favorites is Georgia Tech. Like Brian says, 60 and a half points. ESPN has 67.3 for Georgia Tech. If the game does not have rain, I think a shootout could happen. But since Mother Nature has decided that she's going to rain in on the day, I was going to say 38-35. That was going to be my original score before I saw the rain. Since there's going to be rain, I'm going to go 28-24 to Blue Devils. I do think both teams will get 200 yards rushing. The question to me is – there's two questions. Do defense, can they stop Sims from running? Because, obviously, he's their second leading rusher. Can Gunnar Holmberg throw the football in the ring? This is the first time we've seen any element – whatsoever other than sunshine the whole season and hey you know years past Duke has been great in the rain we've not enjoyed sitting out in the rain watching it but they have been great in the rain so 28-24 Blue Devils I do believe it's going to be a good game I do believe that if 80% chance of rain happens there will not be a lot of people there and if there are they're all going to be over there under the covering with us so 28-24 Duke
3: We'll say this: if, uh, if if all this is correct and Duke ends up winning, uh, I think I may have to pick Duke to lose. So, like the rest of the year, like and y'all three pick Duke to win. So like because that might be a thing. I mean, I don't know. Oh
1: no, it maybe, will maybe, be, Jamie. It will be. Yeah, we will not allow you to pick a Duke win going forward for sure.
3: But, but in all seriousness, uh, if Duke can can come out and win on Saturday and get their their first ACC win in a couple of years. I think going forward, it will give the team, you know, quite a bit of confidence moving into some winnable games down the last, you know, stretch of the season.
0: Yeah, that's really good, guys. I like those. uh, Three out of four of us say we're going to win. We'll see what happens there. And um, like I said, guys, if we're going to go to a bowl or we're going to go five, uh, five and seven or seven and five, whatever everyone said we're going to go, this is the must-win game, guys. We have to win this game. And so I'm looking forward to seeing – Uh, what we can bring to the table. I did want to give a little bit of a shout-out before we close, and Brian's going to take us home here in a second. Uh, Brian and I both in the last few weeks have been uh, interviewed uh, on another Duke podcast, Locked On Blue Devils, our friend J.J. Jackson over there. And we do want to give him a shout-out and invite you. uh, They do daily Duke podcasts. Now, we bring you a podcast once a week. um, And we try to bring you a good, long podcast with some deep takes. Locked On Blue Devils is a daily podcast. Uh, there it is not only for football. They do basketball. They do lacrosse. They do baseball. They do all Duke sports. Uh, but we want to encourage you. If you want a daily dose of Duke, uh, hit up Locked On Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson, Brian.
1: Guys, we have one more prediction. We started it last week, and it came to fruition. We got to talk Jersey Combo, and kudos to the Duke football equipment staff. I got to tell you, they surprised a lot of us. Uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter. Duke football released a photo of the I think it was the white tops, black jerseys and white bottoms. And needless to say, I was not a happy camper because I truly thought that was our combo. And then Duke football hit a home run. They went icy whites with the Hellraisers. So, guys, we get one point each because I believe we all predicted the Hellraisers would make an appearance. So this week, before we close, what do you guys think will be on the field? against georgia tech jersey wise uh josh i'll start with you
0: all right i'm gonna go white blue white white blue white and we're gonna go with the d decal the decal d the d decal white blue white
3: jamie and then scott i'll go blue blue white with the with the script
1: the white duke script on the hel- okay, all right. Yeah, that seems to be a favorite amongst the equipment staff this year. Scott?
2: I think the last time we played them at home, it was black, black, uh, blue. Love it. helmet. I think the black, black, blue with the Duke script with the blue helmet would be great. May not get it, but I think that would be a nice one.
1: Well, if we, we have more surprises, I would love to see that too. I think they're going to keep it traditional. I think we're going to go – white helmet with the blue D, blue top, blue pants. I think we're going to kick it old school a little bit, a jersey combo that we typically do in your atypical normal um, Duke home football game against Wallace Wade. But don't worry, when the jerseys get released, uh, I believe tomorrow, the combos for both Georgia Tech and Duke, we will be sure to retweet. And I will definitely let you know the last time we wore those jerseys. But Look, another great episode in the books. I think uh, we went a little bit longer just because it was a rivalry game last week, but it's always fun to kind of give our thoughts, kind of just go over everything, alumni tell the tape. But thank you to the listeners for tuning in each and every week during the season. This wouldn't happen without you. But with all that being said, another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast comes to a close. Be sure to tune in next week as the Blue Devils prepare to hit the road and take on their next ACC opponent, the Virginia Cavaliers. As always, be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching Duke Football Talk and on Twitter by searching at Duke FB Talk. For Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast.